Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. I want to talk on glorifying God with your body. Listen, the Bible says, 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 9, For you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. You see, we have such a tremendous privilege in God. That just as Jesus had the responsibility to show forth the glory of the Father, now he calls us a holy nation. A holy nation. See, God is holy, glorious and holy, unique, separate from what is common. And I told you this morning, everything God touches becomes separate from what is common. Everything God uses is no longer common. You can no longer treat it as common. And so if God touches your life, comes in to dwell in you, you belong to him. He has brought you to glory. He has brought you to holiness. So he says you are a holy nation. And that's why Paul says, come out from among them. He was quoting the scriptures. You who bear the vessels of the Lord, come out from amongst them. You must be separate from what is common. This is so important and this is so... So, listen. So, even if holiness refers especially to uniqueness like we shared yesterday and being separate from what is common, you have to understand that because we are a chosen generation and a royal priesthood, it must show forth in our morality. Are you getting what I'm saying? So what people actually call holiness is but the fruit of holiness, but is an essential part of holiness anyway. It must show forth. And I want to start in a rather unusual way, just so that you can um, understand the thoughts that I have in my heart. Turn your Bibles, Philemon chapter 1 verse 6. Or Philemon verse 6. Now, this is an interesting verse. For some reason, most times when I hear people quote this verse, the interpretation they give to it almost always makes me laugh. And I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, context, guys, context. Just, just read the context so you can understand what it is actually saying. Context. Philemon verse 6. I want you to read it loud as you can. One, two, go. It seems like you guys are tired. They are reading like um, a broken record. Anyway, it says that the communication of your faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ. Right? You know, now... Um, the interpretation that is always or often given to it is that we should confess who we are in Christ. 
Have you heard an interpretation like that? By the acknowledging of every good thing that is in you in Christ. So acknowledge who you are in Christ. So that you, the communication of your faith will be effectual. And I'm like, in and of itself, that makes sense. But that's not what he's saying. And you just need to study the context carefully to see what he's saying. The Greek word translated communication is koinonia. You must have heard that Greek word before, right? And koinonia means fellowship. Let me explain what koinonia means. So imagine you've been an iPhone user for years. And you've been persuading your friend to get an iPhone. And then one day he calls you and he says, guess what? And you say, what? And he says, I've finally gotten an iPhone. And you're like, yeah. Or something like that. And then you're excited. You send him a text message to congratulate him. But the text message is green. Just in case you don't know, when you send a message from an iPhone to another iPhone, the color is blue. So green just screams Android, you know, and dark, you know. So first and foremost, by the way, there's nothing wrong with using iPhone. They are good Android phones. Some Android phones are better than iPhone. Don't forget all that. But I use iPhone, Sha. <laughs> but I'm serious. So now, and then you see color green. And you're wondering what is happening. Oh, maybe he has not set it up. And then you send him a link to a song on iTunes. Oh, this song really blessed me. I want you to listen to it. And he says, oh, I can't open the link. Send me the YouTube link or something. You're wondering, what's going on? So you're like, anyway, I will see him tomorrow. Then the next day, you take some pictures. And he's saying, okay, please send me those pictures. And you say, okay, is your airdrop on? And he say, no, send it via WhatsApp. You know? Eventually, you're going to ask him and say, what exactly is happening? Listen, I doubt you have an iPhone. Because if you have an iPhone, you will have iMessage, and you will have AirDrop, and you will have iTunes. If we have the same phone, we should have the same experience. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, when you find someone who claims to have received the spirit that, that you have received, having believed the message that you believe, the experience should be similar. Listen, there should be koinonia. Hallelujah. So, if you find, let me give you another simple example. There are some slangs we use here that only Nigerians will understand. I am trying to work on that because I'm, I'm, I'm aware that we have an international audience now. So when I say, yesterday when I was preaching and I said, jokingly said, 30 billion, 40, you know. Not everybody everywhere in the world is going to get that. But if we come from the same place, we will react the same way to some things. There are some jokes that we can share. There is, are you getting what I'm saying? That's what koinonia is. See, if we have the same encounter, we will have the same experience. We can fellowship in the things of God because we have the same spirit. And by the fellowship, I can truly acknowledge 
that you are from where you say you are from. Are you getting it now? So the acknowledging he's talking about here is not you acknowledging. It's other people. He says, let the communication of your faith become obvious until everyone acknowledges every good thing that is in you in Christ. Because that acknowledgement will be the true koinonia. Did you get that? So if I was supposed to rephrase that verse, that is how I'm going to rephrase it. Let what we have in common in Christ become powerfully obvious so that we can acknowledge every good thing that is in you in Christ. So this is the background of the story so that you will understand what he's saying. Very interesting, weird story at the same time. So Philemon had someone who used to work for him like a servant. And historians say, even though we don't know the full story, historians say, some historians say, that this servant, Onesimus by name, ran away with Philemon's money. And some of you, you know, you don't joke with your money. You know, you know. So you're just like, he did that. After all the niceness and the kindness, he did that to me. But somehow, by the providence of God, this Onesimus, as he had run away, encountered Paul, heard the gospel by Paul, got born again, and his life changed. And he began to serve Paul. In fact, Paul was in prison, but Onesimus was looking after him, caring for him and all of that. But now, Paul wants to do what for some people, maybe for the carnal person, would be the unthinkable. He wants to send Onesimus back to Philemon. He wants to force a restitution. Onesimus must have told him, ah, sir, don't try it. If Philemon sees me like this anywhere in the market, he's fight. Anywhere. <laughs> you know, he will first beat me. And Philemon is like, no, he won't. This is what Philemon said in verse 15. Listen, or this is what Paul said, I beg your pardon. Now, this is where it even gets difficult. He says, not only do I want to send him back to you, I'm not sending him back as a servant anymore. I'm sending him back as your brother. <laughs> what is going on? Look at it in verse 15. He said, for perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose that you might receive him forever. No longer as a slave, but, as, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me. So he's my brother. And this is what he says in verse 17. If ye then count me a partner, receive him as you would me. Now, that's powerful in two ways. He says, receive him as if it is me. Mind you, Paul is Philemon's mentor. He says, give him that same honor. What? And then he says, if you consider me partner, Greek word koinonos. Are you getting this? If you think we have fellowship in Christ, because this is the thing, I mean, if you are finding it hard to forgive, what spirit have you received? So he's holding him accountable to his confession of salvation. Are you getting this? And let me tell you this, what I just shared with you is the responsibility of brothers and sisters in Christ, we must hold each other accountable to our confession of faith. 
We must hold each other accountable. Koinonia demands that if you claim to believe what I believe, you must act the way the Bible says we should act. So when I see any inconsistency in your character, uh -uh, what do you mean you can never forgive? There are some statements you shouldn't make. Ah, this thing this guy did, I can never forgive him. You in Christ? In Christ? You can't make that statement anymore. So that's what Paul is saying. He said, in fact, I, can, I could have forced you, but I, I, I just want to take the gentle approach. So I'm appealing to you. But the mere fact that you call yourself a Christian means you don't have a choice. You just have to forgive him. You don't have a choice. Your confession of faith places a demand on you. Gives the church an expectation on how you should behave. Come on, are you with me? And this is what's powerful. It is true that you are saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. It is true that that salvation is, is not of works, lest any man should boast. That's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Verse 10 says, we are his workmanship. Listen, so we are not saved by works, but we have become his workmanship. Are you getting what I'm saying? So the salvation produces in us a lifestyle that is consistent with the free gift of salvation. Are you getting what I'm saying? So even if it is not the works that saved us, works must never be absent if we are saved. Understand this. The fact that works are not a requirement does not mean works are absent. Listen, Paul says, I will show you my faith by my works. That's how important works are. They might not be important in getting you saved, but they are important in proving that you are saved. I might not have been there when you first heard the gospel. I might not have been there when you... Claim to believe the gospel. But guess what? You shall know a tree by its fruits. I just need to look at the fruits that you produce. Because this is what Paul says. He says the fruit of the Spirit is. Fruit is a metaphor for the evidence of the Spirit's influence. That's what fruit means. The evidence of the Spirit's influence. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, there is a life you will live. Love joy, peace. And that's why Paul is telling Philemon, you have the Holy Spirit and you say you won't forgive. It's not possible now. So he says, if you have koinonia, you will forgive. The same way, I can tell someone, if you have koinonia, you would love. If you have koinonia, you will put aside all the sinful cravings of the flesh. If you have koinonia, you will put aside anger because the fruit of the spirit is obvious. Just like the fruit of the flesh is obvious. Paul says the fruit of the flesh is evident, which are these. It's obvious. It's easy to spot. 
So I can spot it from your character, your consistent attitude. And guess what? If I look at your life and I see that perpetually you're walking in the flesh, I have every right to conclude that you were never saved. 1 John chapter 2, verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light and hates his brother is in darkness even till now. John makes that conclusion. He makes that conclusion. Anyone who claims to be in the light. See, so he's telling you, even if he tells you, I'm in the light, I believe, I believe. If he is still hating, he is still in hatred, he's conclude he's lying. He's in darkness even till now. Bold statement by John, but he's there. Do you get it now? So, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the Bible is filled with the slips and the faults of men, even men who followed God. But what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5 is different. It's different from someone who loves the Lord genuinely, you know, fell into sin and, you know, was just remorseful and all of that. This guy was so blatant in his disobedience he was, I mean, he had lost every sense of guilt about it. And so he was dating one of his father's concubines and he was open about it. Set a one, don't judge. And they will go around together, maybe even come to church together. And you know what Paul says? You can't be a bigger grace preacher than Paul. Can you? Where are you getting your material from? <laughs> you know what Paul said? He said you should have cried about it. Guess what? He's not talking to the brother. He's talking to the church. Paul is so serious about things like this that he says there are some things that you should see that the whole church should mourn. He said, your glory is not good. How dare you allow such a thing happen? And he says, well, since you've chosen to be irresponsible about this, I am going to tell you what to do about it. And he says, I have made this decree, and the power of God is present with you. He says, deliver such a person to Satan. Now, he used a strong metaphor. Since the assembly of God is the church of God, he said, kick him out of the church. And by kicking him, kicking him out of the church, you are signifying metaphorically that he doesn't belong to God. Because he couldn't possibly belong to God and continue with the lifestyle he's living. Deliver him to his daddy. Give him to Satan. Strong words. And Paul said this. He said, don't you know that a little leaven living at the whole lump so, so he's saying, if you tolerate this bad character, it will spread. It, you know, he said elsewhere, be not deceived. Evil communication does what? Corrupts good manners. People will learn that bad behavior. Kick off that leaven so that you can be unleavened in the Lord.
Let me tell you this. Not everyone who claims to preach grace is saying what we are saying. Are you listening to me? Mm -hmm. Not everyone who claims to preach grace is saying you belong to a very intentional teaching ministry. If there are phrases I'm well read, if there are phrases I don't use, there's a reason. There's a reason. I believe in the perseverance of the saints. I believe that the same power that was sufficient to save a man will keep the man saved till the end. I believe that. And I believe that such a man should be confident and assured in his salvation because that's the will of God. In Christian theology, how what is said is said is as important as what is said. So I use two or three sentences to say what I said. There might be a shortcut, but it's an irresponsible cut. Once saved, always saved. <clears throat> I've never said that. I believe that the same power that saves a man is sufficient to preserve him unto the end such that the believer can be bold in that preserving power and be assured in it. That's a different thing from one saved. It might sound the same, but one is irresponsible. Are you getting this? Mm -hmm. Can I take in described accurate teaching like walking on a blade? It's easy to fall to either extreme. Learn to stay where God stayed. Start where God started. End where God ended. Because you see, in this Bible, in as, as emphatic as Paul was about salvation being the free gift of salvation, he was also emphatic about the fact that there must be fruits inevitably. So there are some stupid questions. I call them stupid questions that I don't answer. I don't answer. When someone says something like, eh, if someone is fornicating and he dies, will he make heaven? Now, when you hear someone is fornicating, my own response is, where is he? How can I restore him? I'm not thinking of, are you getting what I'm saying? My immediate response is restoration. Paul says, if you see anyone overtaking in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore. I am not to assure him in spite of his faults. That's not the grace message. I always look for restoration. Are you listening to me? You see, this is what false teaching does. It can be so rampant, teaching the truth will now be like hot stick. This is just simple Bible. It's not a hot stick. There's a principle in theology called the principle of double mention or multiple mention, and this is how it works. The Bible says, out of the mouth of two, two or three witnesses, every truth shall be what? So, so many things Paul had to say. So many things Peter had to say. But they said the most important things. 
And of those most important things, the things they said more than once must be an emphasis. Are you getting, do you get the logic? There is a particular statement that Paul made in three epistles, three. And guess what? He was not writing to the world. I, I said epistles. So it was to the church. I want to read them to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, from verse 9 to 11. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. I take them again. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. And Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 to 21. And this is why it is very important to follow a teaching series. You don't stop where I stopped yesterday. This is a continuation. And if this is your first teaching in this camp meeting, you missed yesterday night, please go and watch it. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 to 11. It says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters no adulterers, no effeminate, no abusers of themselves to mankind, no thieves, no covetous, no drunkards, no revilers, no extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, this is the caveat and this is the balance of grace. In verse 11, it says, And such were some of you, but you are washed, you are sanctified, you are, are you getting what I'm saying? You are justified in the name of Jesus. So he's reminding you, that's not you anymore. So he is telling you, he's still giving you assurance, but at the same time telling you what is expected of you. This is the balance of grace. I'm persuaded that better things are spoken of you. Nonetheless, know this for sure. This is God's standard. So, the proper accurate teaching is not that it doesn't matter. It matters. Are you getting what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Look at Ephesians 5.5. 5. Ephesians 5.5. 5. It says, for this ye know. Meaning this is common knowledge in the church. This ye know that no warmonger, no unclean person, no covetous man, no idolater had inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, popular one. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envying, murders, drunkenness, reviling, and such like. It says, of which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not. So these are three texts now, right? That shows emphasis. Listen, the reason I'm telling you this is this. In camp meetings like this, God restores us to factory settings. Just in case... At some moment of vulnerability, 
some habits and some things have slipped into our life. We must allow the power of God to redirect us. And you have to make sure that your understanding of the message of the free gift of salvation has not even subconsciously made you not to see these things for the grievous offenses that they are. It's so serious, Paul said the church ought to have mourned about it. Are we on the same page? Do you understand what I'm saying? So I want to talk, since we're talking about glorifying God with your bodies, I want to talk about habits. And I know that we're all here with our Sunday best and we like to look nice. You see, there is a way we approach churchianity. There's a way the religious calisthenics is carried out. We like to pretend everything is fine. But I know some of us are struggling with habits. And it seems like it doesn't seem to go. Even from the spelling, you can see how troublesome it is. If you remove H from habits, you still have a bit. And if you remove the A, you still have bits. And if you remove B, you still have it. And so you're like, what do I do? Like, pastor, I've tried. See, you have to understand, you don't have a pretentious person talking to you. Even Jesus, it was said of him, you don't have a high priest that is not touched with the feelings of your infirmity. He has been tempted at every point. Hallelujah. So, if you see anybody who has held on to the word of God and seems to have prospered in the will of God, it's not because... Your temptation is not common. Your temptation is common to the person. And so even for a man of God, in camp meetings like this, we must reassess our priorities and say, God, if there is anything unwholesome in me, remove it. Why did I say this? So you understand that the person who is preaching to you is not coming from the standpoint of perfection and is just preaching on you. I count not myself to have apprehended. But one thing, forgetting the things that are past and what? Pressing on. Listen, this is what meetings like this are supposed to rot in us. So that collectively we can say this is the will of God. And God forbid, if pastor falls short, it doesn't stop being the will of God. As great as it is that you have a good example in me, your perfect example is the word of God. You have to remember that. Are you, are you listening to me? So what are we to know about habits? Interestingly, the first person to teach on overcoming temptation was God himself. Isn't that interesting? It will shock you, but it's true. The first teaching on overcoming temptation was done by God himself. In Genesis chapter 4, 
The Bible tells us that Cain and Abel were going to give a sacrifice to God. And you see, sacrifices, let me just quickly explain this, were never meant to be about works. Even though Abel was a shepherd and Cain was a farmer, it's not about works. It's not about the works of your hands. Your works will never justify you. That sacrifice was meant to typify metaphorically how Christ would die for us. And it is on the basis of that metaphoric presentation, placing faith in the sacrifice of Christ, that your sacrifice becomes accepted. So Abel got it right. Slaughtered a lamb. Cain brought crops. Put on an altar. And the power of the symbolism was in the blood. But Cain did not know that. And God had respect to Abel's sacrifice. But no respect to Cain's sacrifice. And guess what? Cain was angry. This is what you need to learn about temptation. Many people just go straight to what happened. There is a process before what happened happened. Before he made up his mind to kill Abel, he was first angry. That's where he started. Listen, this is so important. He was first of all angry. And guess what? When he was angry, God came to him. Look at Genesis chapter 4 verse 7. This is so powerful and instructive. God came to him. This is the teaching here. Genesis 4 7. Maybe I should read a few verses before that, just for context. Genesis 4, 6. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? See, God is so humble. Imagine God entreating Cain. Why are you so angry? Why is your countenance falling? He said, if you do well, will you not be accepted? Have you seen people like this? That you correct them in their folly and they're angry. Why are you angry? Just do the right thing. If you do well, will you not be accepted? He says, and if thou dost not well, he said, sin is lying at your door. This was before he had killed Abel. God saw it. This is a powerful teaching on temptations. It says, seeing his line at your door, and to thee shall his desire, shall be his desire, and, he shall, and you shall rule over him. Ay, 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 ay. This is so powerful. First and foremost, what did God mean by to thee shall be his desire? This was not the first time God had used this statement. Go to Genesis 3. Go to Genesis 3. After the fall of man, this is what God said to the woman. In Genesis 3 verse 15, he says, And I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, that's the serpent, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and you shall bruise his heel. Unto the woman, he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your, con your conception. In sorrow you shall bring forth children, and your desire shall be to your husband, and he shall rule over you. Many people think this was a curse, a curse of submission. No, it wasn't a curse. 
Instead, it was an advice. The same Hebrew words were used in Genesis 3, 15 and 16 that you just read and in Genesis 4, 7. The same Hebrew words. The same Hebrew expression. When it says, your desire shall be to your husband, what she was saying was, the same way you usurped authority over Adam and tempted him to eat what he was not meant to eat, the flesh will tempt you to usurp authority many other times. But he says, my order still remains. Are you getting this? He's still the head of the home. So that flesh is still going to try to usurp authority, but he's still the head of the home. That's what he was saying. So having that in mind, let's see what G Genesis 4 says. It says, sin is lying at your door. Sin is knocking at the door. He says, and unto thee shall be his desire, meaning he's trying to usurp authority over you. It is still at the door of your heart. It has not entered, but it's seeking entry to seize your heart. If it enters and seizes your heart, then you become convinced and you do evil. Sin is knocking at your door, trying to take a hold of you. I'm telling you ahead of time, sin is knocking at the door. He says, and you shall rule over him. Meaning, don't allow it. This is the teaching on temptation. Don't allow it. It has not happened yet, but I'm telling you ahead of time, sin is knocking. Keep, kick it out. Keep the devil in his place. Give no place to the devil. This was what God was teaching about temptation. Can I tell you this? Many people fight temptations when they've already lost. Because if God's teaching on overcoming temptation is anything to go by, it means you fight sin when it is still at the door. Not when it has entered your heart, but at the door. No wonder the Bible says, guard your heart with all what? Diligence. You see, the word used there is akin to customs. Customs stands at the border of a country and determines what is permitted to enter and what is permitted to go out. Are you getting what I'm saying? So according to the law of the nation, there are some things that are contraband. And because they are contraband, they are not permitted. So the customs officer stops it from entering. In overcoming temptation, you must have a customs officer at the door of your heart to scrutinize what comes in, to scrutinize what goes. Listen, the war is already won if it enters. It says, out of your heart are the issues of life. You don't determine how you act. It is what you allow to flow into your heart, in your heart that would direct your actions. Your actions are not as controllable as you think. Your actions are the irresistible product of your thoughts. So the real war is in your heart. So God says, sin is at your door. Make sure you don't open it. But Cain won't listen. Turn the Bibles, James chapter 1, verse 13. James taught the same thing and very instructive teaching. James 1, 13. James says, 
Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. But every man is tempted. This is so important. Every man is tempted when what? He is what? Drawn away. Come, man of God. Drawn away of his own lust and enticed. That's how temptation works. It takes you on a journey. So it doesn't happen the day the trouble happened. There is a journey. Are you getting what I'm saying? It says drawn away of his own lust and enticed. It says when lust is conceived. Thank you very much. When lust is conceived, the Greek word translated conceived is the same Greek word used for impregnation. <laughs> Let me tell you this. So, James is using pregnancy to explain how temptation is formed. When someone gets pregnant, do you just see the stomach go boom, like, and you're ready to deliver from the first day? Is that what happens? It's a process. The seed continues to germinate. By the time it has reached nine months, it's too late. Hallelujah. It's too late. God forbid, even the terrible act of abortion cannot happen full time when the child is already nine months. That time has passed. Do you get the analogy? So, it is when sin is still at your door, trying to draw you away, take you on a journey, that's when you should stop it. Every murder starts with resentment. Stop it at resentment. Are you getting this? Stop it early. Nip it by the board. It says, when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. There's a process. So very quickly, in the few minutes I have left, I want to share with you how to stop sin at the door. Because that's where it really, that's where, that's where it can be stopped. You know what? The Bible says the flesh wars against the spirit. And the spirit against the flesh. So that you cannot do what you want to do. <laughs> what you do is a product of who wins the war in your heart. The flesh or the spirit. So you have to understand fighting temptation is a back end issue. You know what back end is? Tech guys know what I'm saying. If you see something wrong on your website, you have to go to the data page where the programming is done. It's a back-end issue. How to stop seeing at the door. Number one, single word, spelled F-L-E-E. What does that spell? This is the same instruction, no matter your grace in God, no matter your titles in the kingdom, archbishop, 
Reverend Doctor, man of God, run. If Potiphar's wife holds your cloth, don't speak in tongues. Run. This is the simple instruction. Can I tell you something? Don't you dare think that because your country rates movies and you have passed that age, that some movies you are allowed to watch it. Some movies are rated 120 in the kingdom. You are not, see, you became vulnerable, you started making mistakes when you felt, ah, I can handle it. You had less troubles when you had that childlike faith to make you close your eyes at the right place. You, ha you had less troubles, check it. It's when you say, I'm all right, no, no problem. As it was going on, you were speaking in tongues. <laughs> <laughs> That's where problems started. The real rating is 120. You are too young. Let me tell you this. The way sin takes a hold of our hearts is this. It allows us to compromise gradually. You know, there's a comedian. He was joking. Sometimes these comedians, as they're joking, they drop some very profound hints. And he was talking about how there was a new pastor in the church he grew up in or something like that. But this church was used to putting the lactin, this lactin like this, what is some people call podium. It's not podium. You know, at the corner of the stage, for some reason, just for tradition. And this man said he feels he's better at the center, but they won't let him. You know, all those ancient churches, they've already designed it, you know, where the choir will stay. You dare not move it, otherwise the Holy Spirit no more. You know, all those kind of things. You know, so they were so set in their ways like that. And he put it before the church. The church board, and they wouldn't let him. So he decided every day, every Sunday, he will move it by an inch. But because he was moving it by an inch, they didn't notice. Until one day it was at the center, and nobody said anything about it. This is how it happens. So, for instance, you see two people kissing and smooshing in a movie, and you are okay with it, they are just acting. And they're not married. They're not married. You have to understand that compromise does something to your mind. Be honest with yourself. It does something. Gradually, it doesn't happen one day. It doesn't happen one day. The Bible says, flee fornication, 1 Corinthians 6.18. Run it, maybe KJV is confusing you. It says run, like literally run, run for your life. You're allowed to be shy, you're allowed to freak out, you're allowed to cry mommy, whatever works for you. Of course, you know I'm joking, but run. Same instruction, 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful loss. Let me tell you this. God's number one strategy for delivering his children from sin is helping them run. So, 
when Lot found himself in Sodom and Gomorrah, and it was out, I mean, this was not just um, a standard bad country. They were forceful about it, trying to impose their views on him. He didn't say, Lord, you pray about it. He brought them out. He said, don't take anything. Don't look back. And the part many people might not want to hear, destroyed the entire city so that there is no opportunity to go back. Many of you have not burnt bridges. That's why you're still fighting temptation. Okay, we have broken up, but the number is still on my phone. Listen, that's not God's strategy. Fire and brimstone was born so dumb. <laughs> Laugh, but listen to me. That's God's method. You must burn the bridges so that in the moment of vulnerability, because that moment will come. Are you getting what I'm saying? You know, anybody you've been with, especially sexually, you almost never really recover from it. I know you are a new man in Christ. But hear what I'm saying. If you don't put structure in place, a moment of vulnerability will come. And the devil knows how to catch you. He knows how to set you up. One guy was trying, you know, to be serious with his life. A church was doing 21 days fasting. He joined. He was impressed with himself. On the 21st day, he came out like this. He saw his ex. <laughs> After fasting. <laughs> Do you know it's very biblical? Are you aware that in the midst of Jesus' 40 days fasting, that's where the devil was tempting him. In the midst. So, when that happens, it means the fasting is working. It's a simple test to pass. Mark what I'm saying. You will notice that in your great moments of consecration, there will be great temptations. Notice this is a pattern. You'll be wondering what is that. Maybe some of you is this camp meeting. You came from far to see God. Then you now saw someone. <laughs> you know some people, the person they fall with, they met them in church. In church, oh. The irony. Burn the bridge. Eh? You have to take drastic actions. Block on Instagram. Block on Twitter. Laugh, but listen. I don't, don't be seeing the feed. So I just want to check him out. <laughs> don't try it. What about the Garden of Eden? After man had fallen, eaten of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, did God say, I know you have made a mistake, but make sure you don't touch the tree of life. Are you listening? Is that what God did? <laughs> he excused them and put an angel with flaming swords. You know, some people have funny theology. They say that tree didn't exist. It exists. It's metaphorical. <laughs> what about the garden? What about the angel? Was there no angel? What was the angel garden? Theology is on. <laughs> I, I don't, some things just make me laugh. This was a garden with, I mean, the geography was clear. The rivers that were leading to it from it, and it says in the midst there was a garden. And you say it's metaphorical. Anyway. <laughs> there are different types of wisdom. But the point is, an angel was kept to guard it. The flaming sword. 
you only access the tree of life if you are ready to die, which is what Jesus did for us, right? A teaching for another day. The only access to the tree of life is by the death, by death. Did you catch that? Some of you are just looking. All right. But the first point is flee. The first point is what? Flee. Listen, the Bible says, about Lot in the New Testament. Peter was talking. He says, because God knows how to deliver. I didn't plan to share this, but let's read it. Are you still in church? He called him righteous Lot. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. Let's read from verse 6. It says, And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those who should live ungodly, and delivered just lots, vexed with the filthy conversations of the wicked. All that he was seeing around was vexing his righteous spirit. He says, for the righteous man dwelling amongst them, seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with the unlawful deed. Verse 9, everybody read together, one to go. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust for, the, for judgment to be punished. So now, when he says the Lord knows, he's using Lot as an example, meaning the way he did it for Lot is actually his pattern. The Lord knows. So when God wants to preserve you from temptation, it has to be eradicated. You delete the number. Don't keep it there and say, I'm praying for him. Hello, I don't want to check on you. I hope you have changed. <laughs> Both of you will change together. APC change. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> are you APC members? This one are you... I play oh, in case. <laughs> Hallelujah. Number two. Mind renewal. Let me tell you, this one is so powerful. Let me tell you this. And I know I don't really have enough time to talk about this, but I like to talk about it every time I get the opportunity. When I see the things that the devil and his children do, I come up with the conclusion that they seem to know the Bible better than many Christians. They know it so well that they tease the church with it because they know that they can put details in plain sight. And we don't even... You know, there was a picture recently Two hip-hop artists in the U.S. snapped beside, you know, an artwork. And on the artwork, amongst many things that were written on it, was Amalekites. So they brand themselves Amalekites. Because many church people, see, some of your faves are witches and wizards. I'm telling you. Because they know that you don't study, 
They can tease you. And so the irony is they have Christian followers. I mean, this is the poorest bunch of discernment we have seen in the church ever in history. So when I see the moves they make, for instance, now, they know that as spiritual as you are, you have to guard your heart. So they know that if they put all the wrong abominations around you such that there's nowhere to run, there's trouble for the church. If God's number one strategy to preserve us from temptation is to help us flee, what happens when there is nowhere to flee to? We're living in a generation where someone can leak the sex tape of a celebrity, put it on social media, where, by the way, your younger brothers and sisters have an account. Aren't you worried that there are nine-year-olds who might have seen that video? Aren't you worried? We're so used to it. It doesn't, it doesn't even touch us anymore. So some of the things you began to battle at 18, there are seven-year-olds battling it. Seven-year-olds. You know, a church member came to me crying. She said, I'm always, I always guard my daughter. Always. My eyes are always on her. I just said one day I was so busy, I said, let her stay with the neighbors for a few minutes. And their eight-year-old son introduced her to porn. She came back and saw both of them watching porn on laptop. Eight-year-old. There's trouble, though. <coughs> the things you were battling with at 18, eight-year-olds are battling with it now. You better rise up and war for your children. Are you listening to me, church? So, and it is no longer just about prayer. It is a game of content. You have to flood the media with the right content, number one. And number two, through the power of advocacy. Insist that some things shouldn't make their way. There are some things, there are some contents you can't see on Instagram. But it looks like Twitter, anything goes. That's why I'm not exactly against the ban. See, every law, I judge it through the lenses of the word of God. Mm -hmm. I hope I'm still your friend. <laughs> it's the truth. How can you, do you know how dangerous it is to have social media without scrutiny? Without scrutiny. Any social media that nudes can be posted should not be allowed. If you don't know that, you are, you are joking. Just joking with your children. And by the way, that's more reason why we should use it. Because it's a numbers game. Are you getting what I'm saying? But at the same time, with advocacy, we should still talk about things like this. It's wrong, though. 
But anyway, I'm talking about mind renewal. Let me teach you something. I've said this before, but maybe some of you have not heard it, so I'm just going to share this. When you read about the temptation of Jesus, what do you think? Do you think it happened literally? That the devil really took Jesus by hand? Come, let me do this. The devil really took Jesus by hand to the pinnacle of the temple. And so as people were praying down, Jesus saw two of them. Who are those? He said, reduce your voices. The devil is tempting Jesus. <laughs> do you think that's what happened? And when he passed that test, they now flew together. People were watching them. Banana, banana. You know? Got to a high mountain. And that mountain, assuming there is such a mountain, from that mountain he could see all the glories of the world. Ah, ah. Is there any such mountain? There is now internet. But now, took him to a literal mountain and he said, I will give you all of this if you will bow. Thank you. And then, okay, no, I'm not done with my illustration. And so, Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. And Satan said, okay. He said, wait, wait, wait. Don't leave me here. Take me back. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. How do you say, get thee behind me, Satan? You'll be stranded, though. That's not where they picked you from. <laughs> You say, wait, oh yeah, oh yeah, take me back then, get behind me. <laughs> what happened? I believe it happened in the realm where all temptations happen, in the mind. Or at least in the realm of the spirit. You can be in one place and journey. Are you aware? You can go to the pinnacle of the temple, you can come back. You can go to the mountain and come back. You can see all the glories of the world in your mind. That's where temptations happen. So if there was anybody there physically, they would have seen Jesus staying alone in the wilderness, but he was being tempted. They might not have even seen the devil, but guess what? Even if it was happening in his mind, he was responding with his mouth. This is the crucial aspect of mind renewal. Let me tell you something. You don't shake temptation. Don't, see, some of you, you are tempted in your mind, you just do like this. Don't shake it. Oh. It will still work. If you see the wrong image, are you aware it can live with you forever? Some of you know what I'm saying. There is an LED screen behind your eyelids. Even if you close your eyes, you can still watch TV. Those of you who are falling in love know what I'm saying. You felt, you were on your knees praying. You were seeing woman, woman. I won't ask you if that's happened to you. <laughs> you close eye to pray. This man you were seeing. So shaking your mind won't work. But talking will work. So it was happening in Jesus' mind, but he spoke with his mouth. You control thoughts with words. You don't control thoughts with thoughts. You control thoughts with words. Try it. When you're tempted, talk. It has a different degree of result when you talk and say who you are in Christ. 
say why you won't do it because of who you are in Christ. Words are powerful. It takes the, the thing to a whole new level. You speak out. Come on, are you listening to me? Mind renewal. And for God's sake, anything you don't plan to do, don't watch. Don't watch on TV. Don't watch. You see, you, I know you say it's okay. Paul told you, be not deceived. Don't deceive yourself. Evil communication corrupts good man. Don't deceive yourself. Let me tell you something. Even when it comes to anger and vendetta and all those things, you see, movies have a way of justifying rubbish. So, there's this movie, for instance, The Joker. And this guy is wicked. In fact, at the end of the movie, he kills a child. But they start by justifying it, how everyone was wicked to him growing up. And somehow, that kind of pacifies you a little. So when he's showing his wickedness, you say, eh, them too. And now you don't know why, when someone offends you, you are finding it hard to forgive. You don't know why. Because movies thrive on vindication. You do me, I do you. That's how action films are. I'm coming for you, you know? <laughs> so you don't know how that programs your mind. Now you want to do your own back. If you find yourself in Joseph's position, where the people who sold you to slavery come and they depend on you for their sustenance. <laughs> you, you get what I'm saying? So it's a different ball game. You have become so accustomed to vindication in the movie. Do you know there are some movies where the good guys are actually robbers? They are stealing, but because they've told you their life story, how they were hustling, you know. Now police are about to catch them and say, hey, don't catch them, don't catch them. You know? You know? These movies, they are messing your mind up in the way you don't understand. Listen, I'm a fond guy, maybe more than you. I like to watch a good movie. But be cautious. Are you listening to me? Be cautious. Your, your mind is not a pit latrine. Don't consume everything. I'll never forget the day my wife and I were still dating. There was a movie, you know, once they started by the second scene like this, we just stood up in the cinema and said, sorry, excuse me. <laughs> but the funny thing is, we didn't even really talk about it. We just said, ah, first scene one, okay, maybe it will pass. Scene two, so, sorry. <laughs> we did <they> go. <laughs> because that 3K, what it will do to you. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is important. So, you have to understand, you have to guard your mind properly. Let me tell you this. The Bible says, Galatians 5, 16, I already read it to you, right? This I say then, powerful assurance. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's a powerful assurance. Ah! 
So if I walk in the spirit, I won't fulfill the laws of the flesh. What an assurance! I have the answer. I will walk in the spirit. You know, I think it was Pastor Joseph Prince that said something very smart. He said, some people are trying not to fulfill the works of the flesh so they can walk in the spirit. The real battle is the flesh. Instead of emphasizing the spirit, mind renewal, it's a back-end walk. So, you have to take your prayer time. Let me tell you something. Any day you don't pray, you are vulnerable. That's where it starts. It's not when you are alone already with a guy or with a lady. You know, and you know, just like in the movies, you, you, something falls down, you want to pick it up, you immediately touch each other. <laughs> the music will start playing in the background. Do, ba, do. And the camera is panning around. Bang, 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 bang. In their movies. And in your mind, you are seeing people dancing. Problem. I've already entered. You prepare yourself back end. Hallelujah. You have to pray at home. All right? Pray at home. Every time, I noticed something very powerful. There was this young guy, very nice, treats people with respect, but this particular day he was edgy. This is a believer, you know, and, you know, just reacting with anger, irritation, and he just said out, he said, I don't know why I'm just edgy and irrit irrit irritable today. And the Spirit of God told me the reason, so I said, it's because you've not prayed today. He said, that's true. You don't understand the power of prayer. It's not about your requests. What prayer does in you is more powerful than what it does for you. Listen, it conditions you to live in a manner that is consistent with your conviction. Think about it. The same you. Have you ever finished from a powerful worship session? You know, just basking in the glory of God. And on your way home, Something that someone would have done and you would have fought. Someone does it to you. But because you are in that bubble, in that mood, you react differently, right? Understand this. That bubble is where you are meant to live perpetually. That's what Paul means. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill. So the problem is the devil <laughs> caught you unprepared. That was just the problem. That's why the Bible warns you, be sober and vigilant. You have to, you dare leave your house without praying. There's an enemy out there that hates your gods. Trying to meet you unprepared. Hallelujah. I was still, how old was I? in, I think, 400 or 500 level in school when I was casting out the demon from someone and the demon said, we are planning for you. We will send you Unila girls from school. I said, from school. I don't know if you were there. Were you there? You were there. You heard it, Abi. <laughs> Your pastor was there. Then, no. Oh, so if I'm giving side dog, you get why? 
they, they know they plan these things. <laughs> Bless you. <laughs> I was surprised. Say, we know you very well. We watch you from India. You know, we send you. Ah, ah. So, if I'm greeting you, I want to say Unilag and <laughs> the, the, I'm playing. You know? <laughs> but I just said that to say, this is not a game. Hallelujah. And I can share this because I trust in God. Hallelujah. I know whom I've believed. You know, but I, I'm, I'm talking about you. I'm not just talking about me. If you think it's only your pastor that the devil is planning for, you're joking. <laughs> okay? And that's why when you see an important person fall, before you criticize, pray. You see, I told you, this, this generation is the lowest when it comes to discernment in the body of Christ ever. We have not learned to read beyond the lines. You see here, Paul says, talking about settling conflicts, he said, forgive, lest the devil should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Now, what is asking you to forgive? The person legitimately offended you, but he says the devil will take advantage of that. He says, because of Satan, forgive. He says, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Many are ignorant. Let me tell you the truth. If you see someone who loves the Lord, if the person falls and is repentant, pick the person up, back the person up, dust the person. And Are you listening to what I'm saying? You see, the body of Christ is very hypocritical and in this way. I'm sorry, I want to say some things that have been on my mind. Are you ready? You better be because I will say it the other ways. You see, a man of God can be in a church counseling everybody. You come and say, Pastor, I made this mistake. I fell into this sin. He will cover you, pray for you, restore. Another person say, Pastor, I took out five children from my womb. He will cover you, pray for you, restore. You know, the, the day you hear that same person, <laughs> don't worry, you're not ready. <laughs> ah! It can be a grace church, oh. Grace people are the most wicked. They know they forgive. <laughs> Do you know there are some people, if they make a mistake, you will never see them the same way again. I don't even know why I'm saying this. Hallelujah. You have to learn to see behind. Let me tell you something. Just in case nobody has told you, there was a serious attack on the body of Christ in the past four years. The devil was on rampage to discredit many ministers of the gospel. And because... It is, see, the fact that many of them actually made mistakes does not mean it's not an attack. Uh, are you listening to me? Uh -huh. Right now, in the past 10 years, a lot has changed. 
Now you can see a man of God, uh, maybe a blog will post a sermon and people will be as insulting in the comments. Be sensitive. It is true that what the man of God said is wrong. Some know they try, you know. <laughs> you know. But at the same time, why has this generation come to a point where we can openly insult? It's an attack. Be wise. That's why there are some things we solve inside. There are some men of God, when I hear them preach, I'm like, why are you saying this? But for me to go on social media and attack them, ah, you'll be surprised. Your man of God will defend you. This is what he's trying to say. There is something I call the PR of God. You need to learn it. When Saul died, ah, David said, how will it be said amongst the heathen? The anointed of God died like that. He said, tell it not in Gath. Meaning there are some things that happen that you shouldn't spread. He said, tell it not in Gath. That the anointed of God, this happened to him. Listen, was Saul wrong? Yes. But some information must be managed. You are not an activist. You are a Christian. Are you listening to me? Uh It is if the person is unrepentant, like the guy in 1 Corinthians 5, write to the church, make it public. That's a different thing. I don't tolerate nonsense. You get what I'm saying? But it's not every, we like gist too much. We like gist. If you are a talkative, the devil will use you without you knowing. Is that not what happened to Peter? Oh, bear. You just too forward. Eh? The spirit of God just spoke through you now. You said, you know, yeah, you are the Christ, son of the living God. Blessed are you, Peter. Flesh and blood did not reveal this. Same Peter, just five minutes later, because of your mouth, Jesus said he's going to die. You killed him, started rebuking him. Say it won't. Ah, ah. Get it behind me, Satan. There are some people, their middle name is CNN. If you, if you, and do you know that's why vulnerability is so tough in the church? The reason why, which leads me to the next point, accountability. This is how the devil has attacked the church. He has attacked our ability to be accountable. The fact that someone has, you know, made a mistake. And doesn't have anybody to confide in. If they come to confide in you, give them that privilege. Keep it private. And these are the things that make it so hard. The church is meant to be a place of restoration. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, if we can only accept people when they are doing right, we're not a family. And we're hypocrites when we talk about salvation, all the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love. It's only when it's your own that say, Lord, I thank you. I'm not faithful, but you remain faithful. (laughs) It's only when it's your own. When someone else comes and they say, see, see what I've done. Your jaw will hit the floor. As you leave the place, you're already tweeting. 
Can I tell you something? If we want to paralyze the work of Satan, let's build strong family bonds. Where we can hear, a brother tells me, I did this. Ah, I will cry. See, I won't pat him on the back first. Though. I will make sure he is restored. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm saying, what are you going to do now? How do you place yourself on the fast? How do you, you know? So, and then when he's restored, I will cover him forever. See, there are some things you will never hear from my mouth. <laughs> are you getting what I'm saying? There are some things I've even forgotten. Because you have to learn to be like God. That someone who was arresting Christians, I'm talking about Saul now, can now be an apostle of the body of Christ. That's how God is. That Mary Magdalene, a woman who had seven demons, is now serving Jesus and nobody is stigmatizing her. It's not as if, you know, there are some, <laughs> there are some of you, you might be checking a lady. If the lady falls under the power and you hear pastor say, out, that's the end of the relationship. <laughs> you will run away. You don't believe in the power of God. If you believe in the power of God, you will believe that the demon really went out. That's more reason why you should have married the person because at least you are sure she's okay. The next one you will go to, as your pastor prayed for her, These are real issues. Am I lying? We are gauging. We are gauging to be sure. Why did she fall? Is it the anointing? Or is it, you know? So, that's why you wonder why somebody will want to fall. He will hold pillar. You are one that, ah, uh, for yeah? For okay, ah. Uh. I know follow. You will be wondering why he's holding, like, squeezing your face like this. Because people cannot be vulnerable. And these things have hindered the flow of the spirits. Because the anointing will only work in an environment of freedom and vulnerability. The Bible says in the early church, they had all things in common. No one considered anything their own. Hallelujah. Accountability. Turn your Bibles, Galatians chapter 6. Hey, time is just running. If we are praying now, time will be slow. <laughs> Come on, have you not noticed it? <laughs> I thought it was only me. Hallelujah. Turn the Bible's Galatians chapter 6. Verse 1. I want us to read this together. And you see, embrace this as your way forever. Embrace this. Read together. One, two, go. If a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spir spiritual, spread the rumor or spread the gist. Is that what he said? It's like another, there's another episode I don't know about that people are reading. 
So I see when I hear about the fault of someone, the first and only thing that comes to mind is restoration. It's not easy to keep G's too. It's easier said than done. You know how it is to burn you. Okay, don't tell anybody. <laughs> It's just because it's you. Ah, all gossipers say that. It's always because it's you. <laughs> and if someone gives you just like that, don't feel special, Lou. They will do it to you. Even if they say, see, it's because it's you, don't tell. Just know they will do it for you too. You who are spiritual, restore. And, and, at, and at the same time, there is a demonic habit that people have in the name of loyalty where they confide in you and they are not accountable for you to help them get back on track. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you have tried to help the person, the person did not change. Tell someone no. That's what Jesus said. If you tell someone, correct a person in the wrong and he will not listen, take two people to the person. If you will not listen, it will get to a point. He said, Take, tell it to the church. Hallelujah. And he said, from that day, treat the person like an unbeliever. But at first, restore. Okay? Always seek restoration. Just to be sure you are following. Number one is what? Number two is what? Number three is what? And number four, I have few minutes for this. Oh, God. How do I shorten this? Number four is remind yourself of the gospel. I think this should be number one, but I just put it in no particular order. Remind yourself of the gospel. Let me tell you something. God is wiser than man. And what God did about sin is sufficient against sin. Say loud, amen. amen. If God in his wisdom believed that the death of Jesus is efficacious for the blotting of sins, believe him. Believe in the provisions of God. Despite the contradiction in your life, you must learn to go to the word of God. Paul says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak in the flesh. God sending Christ in the likeness of sinful flesh, in, in flesh condemned sin. So he's saying that the death of Jesus has done what the law could not achieve. Say loud, amen. amen. This is powerful. This is powerful. So what is it that the law could not do that he has done? Oh boy, I don't even know where to start shortening this thing from. Turn your Bibles quickly, Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 31. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 31. This was written to the Jews. The Jews were given the law and they tried to obey this command and they couldn't. But now in Jeremiah 31 31, God is speaking through his prophet and says, Behold the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant. Can you say new covenant? 
with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Now, so not only is he saying this is a new covenant, he's comparing and making a contradistinction between this new covenant and the old one. And so if you are a Jew and you know the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, and God says, I will make a new covenant. You are thinking, okay, this is an updated list. Before he said, thou shalt not. But he's putting new conditions. You are expecting new instructions. But instead, this is what God says. He says, but this shall be the new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. Verse 33. That after those days, said the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts. This new covenant will not be written on a new tablet of stone. Instead, it will be written in the tablets of your heart, in your hearts. I will put my law in your inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. It says, and they shall teach no more any, every man his neighbor saying, brother, know the Lord for they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest. You know what he's saying? The old covenants were regulations, but the new covenant will be a regulator. The new covenants are not new instructions, but a new regulator. He says, this is how Ezekiel put it in Ezekiel 36 verse 26. He says, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes. He says, you will keep my judgments and do them. His spirit is greater than sin. Are you getting what I'm saying? So you have to believe in the provisions of God. You have a regulator. How can you, who are baptized into Christ, continue in sin? It's not possible. Believe in the provisions of God. Say, I believe in the provisions of God. So in Romans chapter 6 verse 3, Paul says, Know ye not that as many... As we're baptized into Christ, are baptized into his death. This is so powerful. Therefore, being buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should walk in the newness of life. This is the provision of God. As surely as Christ was raised, we will walk in the newness of life. And every time there is a temptation, but we choose righteousness, we are proving that Christ is raised. Because walking in the newness of life is only made possible by the resurrection of Christ. That's Romans chapter 6 from verse 1 to 3. So powerful. My walk in the newness of life shows and declares the resurrection of Christ. What a powerful motivation to walk like I'm meant to walk. As Christ was raised from the dead, we should walk in the newness of life. So the resurrection of Christ has affected me in a personal, powerful way. Believe the gospel. Thank God for self-help techniques. Oh, when you are feeling tempted sexually, go under the shower. You've heard things like that. And I'm not here to argue whether they work or not. I'm just saying, in all you're getting, get understanding. Understanding of who you are in Christ. Walk in the newness of life. What God has done is the most trustworthy when it comes to this. 
Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 1, so powerful and instructive. It says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. It says, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. He's describing your former state according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now walks in children of disobedience, among whom we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind that were by nature children of wrath, even as others. He says, but God... Who is rich in mercy? This is what God has done about it. Before you walked according to the course of this world, this is what God has done about it. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love where he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. So he said the resurrection of Jesus has done something to your ability to walk in a manner, in a manner that is consistent with his will. Even when you were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. And has raised us up together and made us sit together with him in heavenly places. That's what the Bible says. Do you believe the word of God? Why then do I still have inconsistencies? and temptations, and habits. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, it says, if you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, I've taught on this many times, I'll teach on it a billion times more because it's so instructive and powerful. It says, if you through the Spirit do what? Mortify. That Greek word, it's the word from which we have the modern word mortician. A mortician is someone who walks in a mortuary. It is the work of a mortician to make sure that dead bodies act dead. Because you see, I don't know if it has happened to you because you're modern people. You like frozen food. But you see, <laughs> when I was growing up, we used to buy live chicken and kill the live chicken. And I will never forget that first time I witnessed this. After the chicken had been beheaded, my mom poured hot water on it, and guess what? The chicken jumped up. Have you experienced something like that? And the chicken started running up and down. And I remember myself being confused. Ah, mommy, but it's dead. And she said, yes, it's dead. Why is it running? <laughs> you know? Because you see, because of the nerves and the impulses, a dead body can still have some traces of life. But it is dead. You know what my mom did? Followed the chicken, cut it, put it back, poured hot water. You are dead, chicken, stay dead. And that's how many Christians are. Sir, you said I'm dead to sin. You said I'm a new man in Christ. Why do I still feel these sexual temptations and this anger outburst and all those things that your dead flesh still trying to act alive? And so he says, you do the work of a mortician. In the mortuary, just imagine, if chicken freaks you out, imagine dead bodies. Dead bodies will just stand up, hand will just rise up like this in the mortuary and all those things. So they put chemicals on dead bodies to hinder all those activities. That's what your devotion does. That's what your prayer life does. You make sure that dead flesh stays dead and acts dead. And you do that every day. If indeed you are dead, then dead in. <laughs> Are you getting what I'm saying? You make vital what is actual in your life. There must be a consistent consistency with your experience. You do the work of a mortician through your confession, 
through your prayer life, through your devotion. And when you see your mind straying, that's where mind renewal comes. You remind yourself of who you are in Christ. And you walk in a manner that is consistent. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also do what? You have just a few minutes as a round of open Ephesians 2, open Romans 6. I know time is fast spent, but these are the confessions you would declare even till this evening, all right? I want you to personalize them and say, in time past, I walked in the, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that walks in children of disobedience. In time past, he put it in time past. Meaning that's not you anymore. Say, that's not me anymore. Me. Say it with conviction. Say, that's not me anymore. Ah, it says in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now walks in children of disobedience. Amongst whom we had our conversation. He said, but now. He has quickened you together with Christ. By grace, ye are saved. Hallelujah. Just read that to yourself. Declare it. I give you a few minutes. Speak in tongues and declare it. I'm a new man in Christ. I'm a new man in Christ. New man in Christ. Declare the word of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we've prayed. Say, I'm a doer of the word. So you don't hear a sermon like this. If you hear a sermon like this and you don't act on it, you have hardened your heart. So if you are single, you are living with your boyfriend or with your girlfriend. After this, what do you do? So listen, in your life, you know what the Bible says? A righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Don't spend time obsessing about why you fell. <laughs> Dust yourself and move on. Run with patience the race set before you. Lay aside every weight. And the sin that easily besets and run. That's another thing. Some of you, the totality of your walk with God is trying not to sin. You have no race to run. That's part of the problem. Your preoccupation is wrong. So the reason why we lay aside weights is so that we can run. So find God's purpose for your life. It will preserve you. You will discover that in purpose, the habits will die. It's hard to be an evangelist and walk in sin at the same time. It's very hard. Because these things preserve us. We are fed by feeding others. Are you getting what I'm saying? Walk. And apart from your, in your walk with God, in your walk naturally, you've heard the saying, an idle mind is what? Haven't you noticed sometimes, it looks like the moment is, so for some people it works either ways. It's either you are vibrant in your walk with God in school, by the time you go home, shh. 
Or so, for some people, you are, I mean, struggling in school by the time you come home. Your work schedule helps or affects your fight against temptation. Check it. Some of you, it's not a spiritual problem. You're just idle. You know, get work. I know after school, you are waiting, you know, for a job. Go and intern somewhere. Because if you wake up in the morning and it's just internet, you will stray. <laughs> are you listening to me? You don't need prayers. You just need a job. They're just idle. Find something doing useful with your life. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. We are doers of your word. We are instructed in your word. Glory to your name, Father. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809 996 7000. Blessings.